Hi and welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast. My name is Courtney and as always joining me is Matt. Hey. And today we've got something a little bit different for you, a Q&A episode. But today we've taken all of our questions from our Facebook group. Yes, we have. Normally we will get them from our email, yes. which is what, Courtney? Podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com. But we thought for a bit of a change of pace, we would poll our awesome Facebook community group. Yes. Which you can uh, find by looking at our website, which is what? Theweightlosspodcast.com. You almost got caught there. <laughs> so come join the Facebook group, hang out with Courtney and I, and we're going to start getting more questions out of the group to do episodes in the future. Definitely. So I reckon without further ado, we get stuck into this because we've got a few things to go through today. Let's do it. Welcome to the Weight Loss Podcast, where we offer solutions to the obstacles you face when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. As a married couple who's lost a combined weight of 100 kilograms and 11 clothes sizes, our raw, real, and relatable stories will show you the path you must walk to achieve, and more importantly, maintain the results you know you can reach, because we know it works. So get ready to share the success and show the results with your hosts, Matt and Courtney. Yes. The 870th best health and fitness podcast on the internet rolls on. That's us. That is us. So I reckon we just uh, rip the band-aid off this one, get stuck into it. I think we, we should because we've got a lot to get through. All right, um, Courtney, you uh, want to start with the first one? Matt's going to read out all of the questions, Okay, which is great. <laughs> Matt, you want to start with the first one? Matt oh, always yes. reads out the questions. We'll oh, just, 100%. <laughs> we'll just say overly now... If you've listened to any of our previous Q&A episodes, which if you haven't, you should, Matt always reads out the questions because Courtney sucks at reading out the questions. Courtney's good at speaking. Courtney's good at speaking. Courtney's not good at reading out loud. So, Matt, take it away. Thank you, Matt. I will. First question is from Kyla. Courtney, how do you stop binge eating? Go. (laughs) This is a great question and this is episodes on itself but binge eating is one of those emotional reactions so in my past I've been an emotional eater and which that, can, can we just say though most people are yes 99% of human beings are emotional eaters well binge eating and emotional eating to me it's pretty much the same thing because if you're a binge eater you're doing it because you're emotionally reacting to something or you're in an emotional state. So a lot of people, if they're feeling depressed, things like that, it can manifest into them binge eating. Or if you're feeling anxious or stressed, it can be binge eating. So to me, in my mind, it's a very, very similar thing. And therefore, you tend to have to figure out why you're doing it. So what are you reacting to? So there tends to be patterns within binge eating. When are you doing it? Why are you doing it? So how many times, Matt, have we had clients say to us, I'm great Monday to Friday because I've got a set routine and, and I've got everything locked in and I get to the weekend and it just goes shit. Um, lots. So that is another form of binge eating. So and, and that's you can see a pattern there. And then once you see a pattern as to why it's happening, when it's happening, then you can start addressing it. So I think step number one for me has always been try to address and try to figure out when it's happening and if it's happening around a certain situation, a certain um, feeling that you're having, and then you can start putting something in, in place to try to start addressing it. I think it's to start to say how do, how do you stop doing it is 
a, a little bit strong for me. I think you have to sort of really have the mindset of I'm going to work on this and this is going to be a goal that I'm going to try to start getting on top of. And then it seems less daunting, I think, when you are an emotional leader or you are a binge eater to say, how do I stop this? It's a, it's a very daunting task. So I think step one, figure out some patterns around what's happening and start to put goals in place to start addressing it one little step at a time and then it can become less daunting for you. So for the, for the example that I gave before that I've had clients say to us, even just recently, Matt, that we can seem to be the biggest problem for them. Mm-hmm. So you've got someone who's a mum, Monday to Friday is at work, school drop-off, school pickups, going to work, very organised, very set in a routine is on point, gets the exercises done during the week, food prep, yep, good, we're checking checking off the list, we're, we're good. Gets to Saturday and suddenly it all falls apart. So in that situation, what I'd be working through with that client is, okay, so we've identified the problem, one of the problems here. Let's talk about, okay, what could we be doing better on the weekend? So... Why are you suddenly starting to eat out all the time? Is it because the food prep you're doing is only lasting you to Friday? Is there no food in the house on the weekends already prepped? That might be a factor. It might be that there's food prepped, but the idea is that it gets to the weekend and that you're off the leash, that you're allowed to do whatever you want. Mm. Is that is that the mentality? In which case, okay, so that's what we need to, to look at here. Is it... We've spoken in the past, Matt, about what something that works for us on the weekends is to schedule in a bit of a date meal together. Mm. We've found uh, that scheduling in those sort of meals has been helpful for us. It keeps us on track and, and it allows us to not feel like we're just going to go loose on the weekends and do whatever we want. Uh, so it's a very layered question and there's a lot to it. Can I offer a alternative perspective on this? Mm. I've seen... Uh, a lot of binge eating comes as a result of deprivation, mm. of approaching what you're doing like a diet. That's a good one so too. So you can have someone who might be eating, say, 20 times a week, uh, fast food, takeaway food, etc. And it's like, right, I start on Monday. I'm going to go from eating 20 times a week takeaway to eating zero times a week takeaway. So I'm going to deprive myself of all these types of foods that I've habitually been consuming for years. And I'm going to replace them with shitty, boring-ass diet food. Yeah. Now. Rice crackers and tuna. <laughs> carrots and celery sticks. Yes. But do you see here where how this can lead to binge eating? Oh, yeah. Deprivation yeah. and the feeling of missing out. And I think that can also uh, be combined with the f- where if someone is not enjoying the staple foods that they eat, you are far more susceptible to a binge because yes. you're looking to get that satisfaction elsewhere. So to me, if I have a client and I've had plenty who are susceptible to binge eating, I personally look at what are you eating the bulk of the time? Are your staples hitting the spot? Are they giving you the, like if you have a, a sweet tooth, like say I do, <laughs> yes. 
are they are the, the staple is the staple foods that you're eating hitting that sweet spot or if you have a love for savory foods which i also happen to have that as well i just like food is are your staple meals hitting that savory spot mm. if they're not and you're not getting what you like you are more likely then when there's temptation put in front of you or the weekend hits it's like well fuck yeah mate it's kickoff time yeah so to me I look at the staple food someone eats, they're probably not exciting enough. They're probably not varied enough. They're probably not honestly satisfying enough. It's a really great point that you so make. So that's how I would look at stopping binge eating is make the food you eat on a regular basis more enjoyable. Yes. Because eating healthy food doesn't have to be unenjoyable. No. Well, it and, shouldn't be. And Well, it's unsustainable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So to me, if, someone, if someone's staples aren't enjoyable for them, they're a ticking time bomb. Yes. And it's not if they're going to binge eat, it's when. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't sustain oh, that. 100%. <laughs> you can't sustain that. And I think that's a fantastic point, Matt. So so basically then, Kyla, in the answer to your question is you have to look at one of those two things. You have to look at what Matt's saying in terms of what are your what, what's your staple foods look like and are you binge eating because you're dieting or you're depriving yourself yeah. day to day and it builds up to a point where you're just going to go mad. At the, the coaches, the coaching perspective here for me is that's the first thing I'd look at. Yeah. Because I've seen this now with people who th- who think and believe that they are massive binge eaters and can't change it. Well, when they actually enjoy their staple foods more, they don't need to force it. Yeah. So. So that would be step one, and then step two, if the staple foods are great and you still feel like it's happening, that's when you maybe would then Matt look into the emotional side of things or the preparation side of things and see where else you can be improving. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Our next one comes from Donna. Let's say you're on track and practicing great habits and burning it up in the gym and had some good results. And then something triggers a backslide. One day of bad choices then turns into two and you know you're screwing it up more and more. What do you do? Do you start back from square one? you go back to just one small habitual change or do you just jump back in where you left off? Not so much about complacency, but just how do you stay on track or get back on track after a slump? I Can I start by answering this in my very quick five-second answer? Yes. Pick up the ball and run ahead again. Yeah. Just get back to it, mate. The thing is here... Actually, this is going to be more than five seconds now. <laughs> the thing is here... To me, this also speaks to being ruled by emotions. Yeah. Now, humans are emotional creatures, so you can't like become a robot. That's not going to happen. But if you recognize what's happening, that means you're in charge and you're allowing it to happen. Because the thing is, you can't control something that triggers you having an emotional event. Because shit in life happens. As it turns out, being an adult's hard. And yes, like, it is. We weren't told this as a kid. No. It's like you're protected from all this stuff. Yeah. And then you get to like, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. It's like, oh, actually, fucking hell. Adulting sucks. Adulting's kind of hard at times <laughs> and there's no actual instruction manual for this. No. But the thing is here, to me, you can't control the fact that shit will happen to you. You can control your reaction to it. Mm. Now, step one is recognizing it. If you recognize the habit of an emotional reaction to a bad event, you're halfway there. Because yeah. a lot of people don't, don't need to just either choose not to recognize it or are completely fucking oblivious. 
So step one is recognition. Step two is what? Do something about it. Just get back into it, mate. The sooner you get back into what your normal routine has been, the positive routine, the sooner this shit's in the rearview mirror. Yeah. I'm done. Okay. I, I, I completely agree. I think that... I, I think, Donna, when you're saying... I think a lot of people go through this, and I went through this years ago where one thing would go wrong and then that was it. The whole day was stuffed. Um, I, would, I would argue... It's not some people go through this. Everyone Everybody. goes through this. Um, and then once the whole day's stuffed, well, the whole week's stuffed. Start, and then once I'll, the whole I'll, week's stuffed, you yeah. know, it just, it just rolls on. I'll start, so I'll start next Monday. You can, you can definitely let that take over and you can de- definitely let that become a, become a pattern. So as Matt said, step one is to recognise, okay, that wasn't great, but let's move on. I think in, in these sort of situations – what makes things worse is the guilt that we put on ourselves and, and the guilt or the embarrassment or, or we feel like we've let people down. Like us as humans, we tend not to want to let people down or, or we want to impress or we want to, you know, do good things and, that, and that's okay. And we feel like if we've made one little mistake, oh, we're going to let someone down or, or we're going to be embarrassed. Or Couldn't that also be then how you view failure? Yeah, I think viewing failure and and viewing mistakes and and feeling like these things are – because obviously we've spoken, Matt, about failure is not making a mistake. That is not failure. But I think still a lot of people think that they are the same Uh, thing. That that is, with that question, the the sort of prevalent belief that making a mistake and failing are the same thing Mm -hmm. when we know it's not. Yeah. And I think that getting that – into your brain is step one that you can make a mistake and it doesn't mean that you've failed so matt and i always say that making a mistake is a failure quitting is failure yep and also making mistakes is necessary yeah that's so where, that's where you learn so donna where you say do you do you go you know what do you do do you start from square one or you know do you just pick up where you left off you 100 percent don't start from square one you pick up where you've left off and i tell you the reason why you said 100 percent. if you if you <laughs> If you hundred percent every time you make a mistake, and there will be lots of them, if you go back to square one, that is soul crushing. You're not actually progressing there, are you? That is that is so soul crushing for your confidence in this. That if you take five steps forward, and then you just take one step back, and then you throw your arms up in the air and say, "Oh well, I've got to go back to step one." How crushing is that every time that you make a mistake? So. I would say definitely don't start from square one. You have to give yourself the room to make mistakes and you have to give yourself the room to pick it up and that is going to boost your confidence if you're able to pick yourself up and say, okay, I made that mistake but I'm going to keep running and keep pushing forward. So I would definitely not start from from square one. I would recommend picking up and just keep going. And Donna, to address where you say, do you go back to the small habitual changes, yeah, you do because that mistake you make is a chance to 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 improve those habits and those changes. So you just look at the mistake you make, that one mistake, and you just say, okay, what could I do differently here? And that is going to be improving those habits that you're that you're slowly yeah. working on and changing. It creates an opportunity for next time this comes up yeah. to improve yourself and show the improvement. And and there's, there's too much I'll just close on this there's it's unreasonable and I think to a point delusional 
to expect to go through a process like this without making a mistake. Like you have to. And I know, like I can speak for, for Courtney and I on this fact, both of us are the result of everything we fucked up and we fucked up everything. Next question. Just one thing to end on. I think that when people get stuck in, and this is an analogy I've used with clients in the past, when you get stuck in this pattern of, well, one thing goes wrong, so I just decided to eat shit for the rest of the day, and then, and then it just decided to do this for the rest of the week because who cares? Well, at the end of the day, no one cares but you. So this whole thing of, oh, well, who cares? No one. Because you're the one that is going to care. Well, and so has to look in the mirror. You have to sit there and think, am I acting like an adult here who really wants to change something in my life? Or am I acting like yeah. a toddler and one <laughs> thing goes wrong and I'm just throwing all my toys out of the cot? And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. And that's not what you feel in the moment. And I say that from someone who's been that toddler throwing all of the toys out of the cot because I'm annoyed. At the end of the day, it's not hurting anybody but yourself. I love it when you rant. Uh, all right, so <clears throat> the next two questions I've got back to back because they're about diets, mm. which is opportunity for us to get in our soapbox and become sanctimonious assholes. <laughs> so first one comes from Tanya, Courtney, and Matt. So you got the you got the name here first. So <laughs> recognize. What is your opinion on staying in ketosis to lose weight, a.k.a. the keto diet? I haven't finished all the podcast yet, so maybe you've already talked about it. I'm sure we fucking have. <laughs> Might have. Uh, I know in previous podcasts you address your dislike of diets. I'm just curious, though. Well, guess what? We're about to readdress our dislike of diets. Now, I should mention, Courtney doesn't know the ins and outs of ketogenic diets i don't and now is my chance to educate my beautiful wife on ketogenic diets so she can understand why i'm about to say what i'm about to say i know the basics but matt is going to enlighten us all on the more detailed area he is the nutritionist out of the two of yeah, us so a ketogenic diet otherwise known as keto which is a cult that is sweeping the world is a low carbohydrate low protein high-fat diet. What do we mean by here? So usually, let's get specific here, usually people on a ketogenic diet will consume between, say, 20 to 50 grams of carbohydrates per day. Now, Courtney, just for your um, sort of frame of reference here and you listening as well, just in case you don't know this either, 50 grams of carbs is about probably two slices of bread and maybe a banana. You might say it's not much. So the whole idea here is that, well, you're going to every single day dr drastically reduce your carbohydrate intake. And I should also mention, uh, and this is one thing that keto people tend to overlook, fucking vegetables are carbohydrates. Yeah. All right, so let's just get that out of the way. Like beans, pumpkin, potato, um, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts are also carbohydrates. Just want to start with that. So here's the thing. So what is, Courtney, you should know this one. What is the primary fuel source of the human body? Okay, just give me that look. I don't, 
The primary fuel source of the human body is carbohydrate. Yeah, for energy. The primary fuel source of our muscles that fuel intense training is carbohydrate. Yes. So here we have a diet saying, no, no, mate, cut all this shit back. Then you have the low-protein part that goes with it. What is the uh, building blocks of the muscle tissue in our body that drives our immune system? And that drastically improves our body composition and our body shape. What feeds those muscles? Protein. Yeah. So what we have here is something that's saying, oh, well, these things that your body use when consumed at the right times, these things improve your composition, but you should take them away. So his standard rule of diets, right, <clears throat> that we have. A diet has to address three things, or a plan. Not just a diet, a plan. Any plan that may have success, or you're viewing under the lens of, will this work for me, has to be able to address three things. It has to address how you look, how you function, how you feel. But there's also the fourth little pillar that comes with that with that triangle I just mentioned. Can you sustain it? Mm. Now, me personally, as a functioning type 2 diabetic, because my diabetes doesn't affect me anymore, but I'm still a diabetic, mm. I eat carbohydrates. Normally you would think, well, something like ketosis, where you avoid carbohydrates, well, that's fantastic for a diabetic, yeah? Uh. I personally wouldn't do it. I haven't done ketosis. I will never do ketosis, and here's why. I'm sure there's people out there that could function on this plan. Yeah. No doubt about it. And to them, I say high five, thumbs up, good on you. However, I know for a fact that what we do with ourselves and what we do with our clients works. Unreservedly, with no side effects, and it's sustainable. So, yeah, nah. And I think to myself as well, because as you know, Courtney, like I train pretty intensely. Yes. And I'm a bit of a strong lad, you might say. Yes. I can't think of how I would function in my training sessions without fuel in the tank. Mm. I know I couldn't sustain it. I just could not sustain it because I, I value my performance because ultimately as well, and this is going to be technical here, when you're talking about reducing drastically reducing carbohydrate intake, you will lose weight because you are depleting your muscles of glycogen. Mm. Glycogen is the storage. Is the, glycogen is what your body breaks carbohydrates down into to store in your muscles to make them actually fucking work. So if you reduce glycogen out of your muscles, you will weigh less on the scales. Now, if you're taking carbohydrates slash glycogen out of your muscles and you've lost weight on the scales, have you lost fat? No. Like it's, it, it's kind of like comparing it to say dehydrating yourself. You're losing weight in fluids. Hmm. What's the goal of someone's program is to lose fat and look better. So I would say if you are living and dying by the scales and you want to get the kicks that you get from the numbers going down, oh, I've lost five kilos this week. I couldn't think of anything better than ketosis. Yeah. 
because you're getting all that all those that, that glycogen out of your body. Mm. Of course, the number goes now. Mm. And and as you say, Matt, in my mind, I mean, I don't have the technical resource that Matt does. So basically, I have everything I've learned. I've learned from Matt. Um, well, that sounds dangerous. And it's just on a very basic level. So we well, lived it though. So I wouldn't say it's that basic because you've lived it. I've lived it. And you and you see, I think I think you're you're underselling your knowledge because your knowledge, Courtney, has come from experience. I think at the end of the day, though, if, if I turned around to to you, Matt, and said I want to try the keto diet, Matt's first response to me would be why. Um, and I, I think actually it'd be my second response. <laughs> the first one would be what the fuck. It would be why. And I think why is a very good question to ask when you look at any of these sort of diets and you have to ask yourself, why do you want to do it? And again, as Matt said, then you have to ask yourself, is it sustainable? And that is the very basic questions that I've always asked myself when it comes to these sort of things, which is, okay, why would you want to do that, A? And B, is it sustainable? And if the answer to those two questions is you can clearly answer the question to A would probably be because I want to lose weight. And the question... Wait, wait. I want to lose a number. Yes. And the question to... um, The answer to the second question would be, yes, if it is, yes, it is sustainable, then okay, go for your life. I mean, at the end of the day, Matt and I aren't here to tell people what to do and to tell people, don't do this diet, don't do that diet. It's literally just to give our opinions on them. Well... And if you, at the end of the day, want to go for it and give it a go... Go for your life. Well, put it this way. I agree with what you said, and I think you made a very good point. Ah, oh, 100%. As you do. Uh, all I will say is this. Would I do this? Not in a million fucking years. Yeah. Because I, I just think of how I perform. Like, I don't mind you. Like When I say I eat carbohydrates, like I don't go to town on them, but I still, I still consume carbohydrates. Well, it depends because there's differences in carbohydrates. Yeah, but look, in general. In general, in general, you don't go to town on carbohydrates, no. But they're involved in every meal that you eat. Of course they are, but, but not all carbs are equal. So no. that's a different story for a different, different podcast. I, I just think of how it would impact my performance, Yeah. how it would impact my recovery, and ultimately, the more and the more, the better, the better you can perform in your training, the better adaptations your body is likely to make. And by adaptations, I mean looking better, getting a better shape and dropping fat. Well, you also can say the same thing for protein. Oh, yeah, So sure. part of the keto diet is reducing protein, reducing protein intake. Uh, that, that to me is just like a, a idea of mine. Like, and I again, lift weights, I need this shit. If you're an active person, any sort of active person, you don't even have to lift weights as much as you do, Matt. You don't have to lift as heavy weights as I do. But well, it's heavy for you. You're an active yeah. person... Protein is an essential part of so it's a building block. somebody's healthy diet. Even vegetarians need protein. Even vegans need protein. Can we just agree that human beings yes. need this? So I wouldn't do it, not in a million years, and I haven't had to do it, and I wouldn't get my clients to do it because they're getting results without having to do this stuff. Yeah. So the official weight loss podcast take on ketosis is this. If you want to get the number down and you care about the number, this sounds fucking great. Yeah. If you want to look and feel better in a sustainable method, yeah, no. It's probably not the best. Now, the next question, speaking of diets, uh, comes from Val. 
What's your take on intermittent fasting? Speaking of diet crazes going around the world, this is the other big one. This is a very big one at the moment. It's 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 humongous. Probably bigger than keto, really. Mate, they're all they're, they're both. Doesn't huge. doesn't intermittent fasting and keto often get done together? Look, I'm sure there are fucking diet crazed <laughs> right. people out there that mix all this bullshit together. Now, okay. same as with keto, I'm going to educate my beloved wife. Yes. Because intermittent fasting comes in different methods. This one I do know about, but you can um, well, I'm going enlighten to, everybody. I'm going to educate a bit on this because you know why? Technically, everyone does intermittent fasting, including well, you and I, Courtney. And I'll explain in a second. I so know why, but yes. Yeah, well, this is not <laughs> This is for our listener. Now, so intermittent fasting involves splitting up your days or your weeks into eating and fasting periods. Yes. Now, there are usually, there's pretty much, this, this can kind of be done in the way you want to fucking do it, but there's three pretty common methods of doing this. So you've got your 16-8 method, which is pretty much skipping breakfast uh, and restricting your eating per day to an eight-hour block. So it might be like 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. or 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. if you're a night shift worker, like whatever it is. So the 16-8 method. So 16 hours of not eating, eight hours of eating. All right, cool. Then there's uh, eat. Sorry, I hit the desk. There's eat, stop, eat, which can be fasting for 24 hours, once or twice a week, uh, and then eating the next day. So it's on, off, on, off, on, off. And then there's the big one that most people know about is the five and two method, which is um, for two non-consecutive days of the week, you're going to consume only around 500 to 600 calories, which is you know probably about the amount of food you'd feed a two-year-old. Yep. And then on the other five days, you have what you would normally have. Now these work, these are all gimmicks. Let's make no mistake, they're all fucking gimmicks. But they work because they're reducing your energy intake. Mm. So energy balance. Yeah. So energy at, from food. You're at, a net, you're at a net loss. Yeah. Which means you're going to lose weight. Any from, any energy from food and drink, should I say. It's not just energy from, from food. Yeah, well said. Now, Courtney and I do intermittent fasting. That's a headline. Yeah. Do you know why we do intermittent fasting? Because we sleep. Because we don't fucking eat while we sleep. Because we sleep. Now, here's the thing. Intermittent fasting the way we do it in terms of we don't eat while we sleep, that's sustainable because I've done it all my life. And I lost 80 kilos doing it. <laughs> yes. And I don't suffer from type 2 diabetes anymore. Yes. Fuck, I love intermittent fasting. Now, the sort of common gimmick methods, I couldn't think of anything worse. Yeah. Than if you, like, and this is, this is, Again, the lens of sustainability. Mm. Maddie Boy or Courtney, what do you guys think of the idea of not eating for a 24-hour period? I'd rather jump off a fucking cliff. Then I also think about the training implications. implications. Yeah. We need fuel to train, yes. let alone be active in our life yes. and make rational decisions and think on the fly. It yeah. affects everything. 
Costas. It affects the way that you are going to do your, your work because it affects the ability of your brain to function properly, um, fatigue, you know. It, it affects a lot of things. It's not just yeah. weight loss. Yeah. I just think to myself, could I function <clears throat> on one of these days? No chance in hell. But again, I haven't had to. So much like the discussion about keto, I mean, hey, if you're looking and feeling better and you can sustain it, fucking yeehaw, mate, more power to you. But again, Courtney and I have done what we've done without having to resort to this shit. Same with our clients. So once again, you have the lens of sustainability and does it make you look, function and feel better? There, I'm, I don't doubt for one second there are people in the world where these various methods can say to those, those questions, yes, this does work for me. To them, they get two thumbs up. All that you and I can say, Courtney, is that what we do with our clients does work, guaranteed, no side effects, sustainable. Yeah. So again, would I do any of these popular intermittent fasting methods? Not in a million fucking years because I haven't had to. No, and I, and I think when you talk about fasting as well, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't take someone with a degree to know that if you don't eat, you will lose weight. Yeah, but then, you, then of course, you know, you, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, as the, as the saying goes, and you pay for it in different ways. So also understand that a lot of these sort of things work because they're encouraging people to eat less shit. Yes, yes. So kind of like... If, if you just go on the no-takeaway diet... You will lose weight. If, if, it's, if it's on the replace the shit food you eat over time with good, healthy, natural food, well, mate, like I know. all these gimmies go away. You go on the no Coke water instead diet, There's, you will lose weight. Or in my case, the, the reducing your alcohol intake. Yeah. Um, funny how that works. So, yeah, that's, that's the official take on that, yeah? Yeah, I don't yeah. really think there's any point continuing to pass over it. That's just Next is question. what it is. Next question comes from Melissa. Is it bad... To not have anything to eat until later in the morning because you simply aren't hungry. And by that she means not necessarily skipping the meal, just delaying breakfast. Or should you eat as soon as you get up? I asked this because I noticed it was nearly 10am before I had something to eat because I simply wasn't hungry but had been up since 7.15am. Great question, Melissa. Uh, and I think that this is something that a lot of people go through, especially if you are someone who is used to not eating breakfast. There's a lot of people out there. I know I was one of them when I was a teenager and I used to just skip breakfast altogether. Um, so I Same. think if you get into the habit of not eating breakfast, I think that this is a question that would apply to a lot of people. Mm. And I think a lot of this can be down to just that habit of not eating breakfast. So you often wake up, you're, you you think you're not, not hungry because you're not you're just so used to not eating it. That's one part. Uh, another part is it's also a sign of a depressed metabolism. Yeah, I know. I'll give you I'll give you a couple of examples, personal examples. So in my life, I have gone from not eating breakfast to eating fast food for breakfast. Thank you, Ronald McDonald. <laughs> to eating healthy breakfast cereal for cook for breakfast and i have a, a smile on my face because the term healthy breakfast cereal kind of don't go handy. funny because they're full of sugar <laughs> but i went but still it was a choice of yes. well 
if I swap out these bacon and egg McMuffins and a thousand hash browns and the healthy orange juice for breakfast cereal, I'm probably heading the right direction. It kind of was. Went from the healthy breakfast cereal to then the standard health nut staple of egg-based breakfast because the rule for healthy people apparently is, oh, well, you can only have eggs for breakfast. It's breakfast food. Yeah. Uh, to now I have for breakfast whatever the fuck I want. Yeah. The thing is, well, I noticed with myself over time is that much like, say, Melissa in this case, I would wake up with no appetite whatsoever. Understand that when when you sleep at night because you are fasting, intermittently fasting, shockingly, you might say, uh, it does slow the metabolic process down because your body's recovering, restoring, etc. When you get up, you want to get things started again, don't you? Ramp things back up because a lot of people don't know this, but by eating food, your body actually burns more energy. Mm. Like it's not just the exercise. No, it's the actual act of eating. Your the the body burns energy by breaking down the food that goes in so i want this process to start straight away the issue though is where people force it Mm. so me personally as a coach do i like the idea of a client delaying breakfast not particularly but i also don't like the idea of a client trying to force food in when the appetite's not there yet now what's the solution you could always drink your breakfast yes you could always bridge the gap with a nice smoothie, couldn't you? Yes. So personally for me, with a client of mine, and full disclosure, Melissa is <laughs> a client of mine, and we've had a chat about this, uh, but worth the question is so good it's worth talking about. So if someone is training first thing in the morning when they get up, which I do a lot because I'm a bit of an early bird, yes, you might say. Not that you would know, Courtney, because you're asleep often when I get up and leave. I'm definitely not in the early bed. No, you're not. And that's, that's fine. I am and I have been. If someone is training first thing in the morning, like as in get up and go, I would not recommend eating breakfast right before that because you'll be decorating the pavement or the gym yes. with your breakfast. Supplements, however, strategic intake of supplements, absolutely. Mm. That's also a different discussion that we've had in our supplements episode yes if someone is not training first thing in the morning i would recommend them to have something small get the nutrition into your body Mm. get the process started i don't think it necessarily needs to be eating breakfast could be drinking breakfast because that could be a good way to breach things up now the reason i've mentioned where i've gone from eating no breakfast fast food cereal eggs to whatever i want I've noticed over the years that as that's been changing, my appetite in the morning has changed. Mm. So if I'm not training in the morning, like when I get up, like I can't last longer than half an hour without eating. Mm. Like my, it's just like I could, I could chew my arm off. Mm. So as my metabolism's like, hey, let's go, big boy. Let's get some food in there, which is a good sign. Yeah. And. That- did that make sense it did or make did I sense. just ramble? No, no, no. It did, definitely made sense. So basically the the goal is, yes, to eat within sort of that around half an hour after you wake up. That is the eventual goal. Yeah, there. but th- that that's not... That's but that is not, not sustainable for someone who is just starting, potentially hasn't had eaten breakfast for five, ten years. 
not used yeah. to eating breakfast. Your body's only used to you eating maybe twice a day. So your metabolism is suppressed and yeah. you're not going to go from that to eating six times a day. Well said, Courtney. I'm not a fan of forcing it in no. when it's not there. But you can, there are little ways and little things you can do to just nudge it along a bit. Correct. And then the body will take over and you find it starts to tell you without you forcing it like, hey, feed me. Yeah, and I think the, um, the idea of maybe drinking your breakfast is a great one because it does bridge that gap. Long term, you probably will then again, you'll find yourself getting to the point where that, that smoothie isn't filling you for breakfast and then you need to switch to whole food meal for breakfast. Um, and the other thing you touched on, Matt, which is just something to put in a headline, which is there was, there's no law that says that you have to eat eggs or cereal or toast for breakfast. There is something that has happened in our culture that has told us that that's the rule, but it's not actually the rule. So you can eat whatever you want for breakfast. It does not matter. So Matt and I, to give you an example, will often eat the leftovers from dinner the night before for breakfast. What is, now here's a separate question about this. Let's just, before transparency, Courtney, what would be the most non-standard thing you've had for breakfast that you can recall? Because for me, it's been steak. Yeah. I've had steak for breakfast. Steak and veggies probably yeah. as well. Same, yeah. Steak and veggies, uh, slow slow cooker, so like a chicken casserole. Mm. Um, Chili con carne? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. I I personally do really like eggs, so I will often have an omelette or, so, or some sort of egg base for breakfast, but that's just because I like eggs. We've been given the question often that, oh, I don't like eggs, what can I have for breakfast? Well, you can have literally whatever you want. Whatever you want, mate. Um, I've had chicken salad for breakfast. I've had, you know, so that that is something to start getting your heads around as well, is that once you move and progress to the point where you do want something a little bit more substantial for breakfast, the idea that you just have to have eggs doesn't exist. That's fake news. You can have whatever you want for breakfast. Okay, that's good. Next question? Yes. Nicole? Should you work out while sick or try and power through it? To me, Matt, you're going to have a different, more trainer-based take on this. To me, I've always just from a personal standpoint gone with the idea of it depends on the sickness to me. So uh, let's say, for instance, if I just had – I'm someone who's prone to sinus infections or or anytime I get sick it tends to be in the head it tends to be in in the sinuses so to me it depends on how much that's impacting me if if I feel that it's there but it's not too bad I will still go to the gym and I still work out because it makes me feel better Mm. when I do that but if it gets over time I've got to know my body and if I would know that if I go to the gym and work out today this is going to make me feel worse then I don't go and I might do a walk or something instead. So I would still try to be active as possible so I'm still feeling active for the week. Um, but, I mean, at the end of the day, sickness is sickness. And if I can't even get in a walk, I mean, earlier this year I had an ear infection and there was no way I was going to even go for a walk during that. Like I couldn't even walk straight because it affects your your balance. Yeah. So. It, it, to to me, it depends on the sickness and it depends on whether you do your regular routine and you think you can get through it or you maybe just do a walk so you're still being a bit active or you you just can't do anything and just have to allow yourself to rest. 
You know, it's funny. You said, oh, well, Matt's going to have a different trainer answer. No, actually, I agree with what <laughs> you said. Where to me, it's like, and you are correct, Courtney, it does depend on how sick you feel. I, for, With me personally, I have a very simple sort of rule. If I don't believe that I can give it my absolute best effort, like I'm not going to waste the time doing it because one, training suppresses your immune system. So you are running the risk of getting worse. It makes you more sick. Yeah. Then if you go to have a training session and that training session sucks, you're then going to feel shit mentally because yes. you, can't, you can't be at your normal best. So you're actually taking one problem and multiplying it. So I don't need to go any much further into this. Like Courtney pretty much hit the nail on the head. Oh, 100%. And it might be trial and error, by the way, as well, until you get used to knowing your body and your capabilities. I'm glad you said that because I will say with me, if I get the sniffles and I can feel something coming on, but I still feel that like I think I've got this in me, I'll have a crack for sure. Yeah. But but you also know just through experience where where the tipping point is where it's like, well, I can barely get out of bed. And in the case of Courtney's ear infection example, really, really, really good example, I couldn't even go for a walk. Well... (laughs) Maybe, maybe don't go to the if gym. You can't then. walk to the fridge um, <laughs> without feeling like you might fall yeah, you're, over. You're probably not going to hit a PB on your deadlifts then, are you? You don't go. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. Uh, next one? Yes. Bill. Bill's asked a very specific question about working with a coach or a trainer. Mm. What about cheating on your coach? This is where I'm out to impress my coach as to how well I'm going or. I'm embarrassed by my failures, so I don't record them in my food diary. Or I've just forgotten about what I ate three to four days ago, and I'm just writing my diary in now. I'm sure there are many reasons and ways for clients to cheat on their coach. Examples, not recording the whole truth. So much more I can say about this, but I'll leave it to the podcast. I think we both have an answer here. Courtney, ladies first. I will just say that this does happen all the time and there are many ways that a client can cheat on their coach. I don't even see it, though, as cheating on their coach. So I think that that in itself is the wrong way around. I think you have to look at it as, again, like I mentioned earlier, you can say... I think we get it in our minds. We're, we're, we're all human. We're all emotional people. Mm. We all have a sense. There's certain people in our lives. You can be the hardest person in the world, but there will be someone in your life that you don't want to disappoint or you don't want to upset. and Or let down. Or let down. We've all got those people. Yep. I think what happens in the situation, and I'm saying this because this is what's happened to me. Um, where From what perspective? So me as a client... I had this similar thing. I've gone through this and I've seen other clients then go through this where you don't want to disappoint your trainer, your coach. Um, there's other people in your life also that you don't want to disappoint that you're accountable to. The, the problem becomes when you're putting more emphasis on how they feel to how you feel. Because at the end of the day, like I said earlier, you can sit there and say, oh, you know, I don't want this person to be upset with me. That person doesn't care. You're going to care because you're the person that needs to put on your jeans at the end of the day and go out. Or you're the person that needs to stand in the mirror and look at yourself. Your coach doesn't have to do that. Your coach is fine. 
you have to do that. So I think where a lot of people in this situation get it wrong and where I got it wrong and I had to learn the lesson the hard way where I wasted entire three to six months on this early in my transformation life. And I've probably wasted actually more time than that, to be honest. My transformation life. Yeah, sounds like a documentary. It does. I've, I've. That's probably even underestimating it. I would have, I would have wasted a long time on this, caring more about what other people think, caring more about how other people view my accomplishments, mm. caring more about disappointing my coach. I went through a phase where I didn't tell Matt things in early days when I was his client. Don't act surprised. You know I didn't tell you stuff. But would you like to admit you don't what like, these things were? Oh, well, I was an emotional eater. I've, I've been very open about the fact that I've always been an emotional eater. And I would still, I wouldn't even call myself a reformed emotional eater because I think you can always fall back into those habits if you allow yourself. But I think that I would emotionally eat and I just, I wouldn't put it on my food diary. But the photos reflected it, didn't they? Well, that's right. You can't get away from it anyway. So I think the thing you have to remind yourself is. The photos are going to be your food diary anyway, so you're never going to cheat. You're never going to get away from that. And I think you need to stop thinking about it as ways to cheat on your coach because at the end of the day, your goal is never to impress your coach. Your goal is to fit into the genes that you want to fit into or, or that sort of thing. Yeah, you don't, don't do this for your coach's benefit. Don't do, do it, it for, for someone else. Yeah. Remember why you're doing it. And I yeah. think often what happens is that we do this to ourselves. We try to put the onus back on the coach, like I'm doing this for you because we're too afraid of failing at our goals. And if we fail, we can say, oh, I didn't fail. It was just my coach or something like that. You have to have own your goal, own the good, the bad and the ugly and own the fact that your coach isn't going to do it for you and your coach at the end of the day is going to root for you and he's going to try to educate you and he's going to try to celebrate all your wins with you and and go through the hard times with you. But at the end of the day, all said and done, your coach is fine. You're the one that's got to live with, with the results. And the other thing will I just quickly mention before I give this over to you, Matt, is that I think when it comes down to it as well, oh, damn, I've just lost it. Damn it, I had a really good point to make. Anyway, Matt, you go. Yeah. It was so built up. I built it up and then I forgot what I was going to say. I'll remember while you're speaking and I'll just interrupt. Go. <laughs> I want to um, just go at this from a number of different angles. So... Coaches aren't, this is coach, this is now Matt, the trainer talking. Coaches are not impressed by food diaries or accountability charts or how well you do when you're motivated because that's fucking bullshit. You know what impresses me? The results, mate. Yeah. The photos because this, from a business perspective, the business that Courtney and I have does not succeed on food diaries and accountability charts. It succeeds on people getting positive change, it being represented visually, and there being stories to share that inspire others. So to me, one of the things that's a massive red flag for me is if a client who is, let's say, working to get in better shape, sends me through a food diary that's better than mine. That's an immediate warning. 
that either they're trying too hard or then they're, they're writing things down to impress me. And it actually doesn't impress me. It's the other way around because it means you're not owning your own shit. What impresses me as a trainer is when someone is prepared to show their flaws because you know who hasn't got flaws in life? Fucking no one. And that is what I was going to say before and I just remembered, which was this is something that I also used to get stuck in, which is the fear of not only disappointing, but you have to not be afraid that you're going to get into quote-unquote trouble. This is not primary school. You're an Mm. adult. Mm. You're not going to get in trouble for making a mistake. It's the ability to learn. If you come to your coach and say, hey, I stuffed this up and I know I stuffed this up, but I'm going to work on this and get better. That is music to the ears of a coach because you're admitting that you've made a mistake, which everyone does. You're not trying to cover it up. Mm. You've you've recognised where you went wrong and you're mm. saying that these are the steps I'm going to put in place to try to address it. The thing is, if, someone come, if a client comes to me with a food record that is impeccable, like, what use am I? Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly, you don't need me then, do you? No. The photos may say otherwise. So the real, the real way to impress your coach comes in the photos and comes in you working through adversity and, over, and being a, a problem solver. Learning. And being, but yet being willing to be a problem solver. So I think we just got to frame this where a good seven-day meal record or a good nutrition diary, um, quote Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. It's also not like a transformation make. So of course it doesn't. It's easy to um, bullshit on your food diary, but the photos don't bullshit, mate. Well, you're just lying to yourself. The thing is, and this is the thing as well, when you've done this long enough and you've seen enough people and you, I don't know, just my perspective again, because it's the same perspective I've got, but like I look at human bodies every day from this perspective and have for almost 10 years now. Like you get a trained eye after a while and there is this really good meme that gets around online that's 100% the truth. You may not keep an accurate record of what you eat, but your body does. And as we say, Courtney, the photos do not what? Lie. They do not ever, ever, ever lie. So ultimately, um, Bill, great question. You're not cheating on your coach, you're cheating on yourself. Because you're the one that has to look in the mirror and you're the one that has to try and squeeze into the jeans or the t-shirt or the shit that doesn't fit that well. Like that's what disappoints the coach is when someone pays money and puts in the time and doesn't get a result. That's what that's actually soul crushing for us. Yeah. Because ultimately we are also investing time and effort into people as well. And I know from my perspective, I love what I do, but I don't do it for the money. I do it for the satisfaction that comes from being able to say, I make a small difference in people's lives. Mm. That is life affirming. Mm. And if there isn't a result coming, the first thing a trainer will do is question themselves. What could I have done better to help this person get a result? Because as trainers, we have self-confidence issues where we think we fucked up. Mm. Oh, it's my fault. It probably isn't if you're doing a decent job. But long story short, you're cheating on yourself here, not the coach. You're just never going to learn to deal with 
your mistakes or adversity or or how to overcome hurdles, which everyone's yeah. going to go through yeah. if you keep lying and, and hiding it. Yeah, you're hindering your own growth. So uh, next question. Yep. Ashley. All right. Ashley says, this, this is what I'm struggling with at the moment. I've tried answering it myself. That's difficult. But it's a tough one. When I've used food and alcohol my entire life to cope with stress and emotions, how do I overcome that? I can relate to this personally because I've had problems with food and alcohol mm. in my life. But both of us, Courtney, have had problems here where we are like a lot of people have eaten and in some cases drank our emotions. Yeah. What's your take on this? So I obviously was an emotional eater and mine was often triggered by stress and anxiety. So that was a lot of, a lot of my eating would come down to that. So for me, how do I, how did I overcome that? Well, Okay, it comes down to a lot of things we've spoken about. So it was identifying why I was doing it. It was deciding, okay, I want to change. That's a big one as well. So you can say, how do I overcome that? Well, you have to really want to. So there's no point just being like one foot in. So if you're only one foot in, don't bother trying at the moment because you're just not ready. You have to be two feet in. And you have to know that it's going to come with some sacrifice. This whole delusional land that some people live in that says, oh, you know, you can give all this up without having to sacrifice anything. Crap. Oh, if bullshit. you could, if you didn't have to sacrifice anything, you would be in the best shape of your life eating anything that you wanted. Can so I, it's I, just crap. Can I just say I wish that could happen? I know, but it's just crap. So you're going to have to know it's going to come with some sacrifice. And again, if the answer to that is I'm not ready to do that, don't try because you're going to waste your time. And money. And money. So just wait until the answer to that is, I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I want this. I'll tell you what. I did not expect you to go that way. That's, that's a very hard line stance from you, <laughs> which is another reason why I love doing this with you, because I think you're going to zig and then you zag. <laughs> I think that that is the, the biggest thing is A, number one, because if you can't get past that, don't bother. Once you get past that, you're halfway there. Then what you do is, then what you've got to do is you've got to look at, again, okay, the stress is a trigger for you, okay? Or, you know, something else might be a trigger for you. But again, you've mentioned stress and emotions, Ashley. So stress is obviously a trigger. So then you think to Which, yourself, by the way, it usually is. It often is. So often that's where recording meals can be helpful because... What, what can happen on meal recordings is you can also put down how much sleep you got that night, what triggers might have happened during that day to make you upset. Then you're starting to get a picture of what is actually really triggering you because often what can happen is sometimes what you think is triggering you actually isn't the case. So or what happens a lot is what, we, what Matt and I often say to people is you tend to, the brain conveniently forgets half the shit that we eat. Brain is good at forgetting mistakes. It forgets a lot of things. So that's where writing things down to have a really good open picture of the situation can be really helpful. Then it's about not depriving yourself of everything, which is what we've already spoken about. And that's often where binge eating and, and falling back into those habits can come in. 
This is unbelievable. <laughs> you have given the answer I would normally give, and I'm going to give the answer you would normally give. We've actually swapped places on this one. This is this is fully sick. Awesome. What's your answer? Well, here's the thing. I've come from this background. Yeah. I used to eat my emotions and drink them on the weekends, and that that was my crutch. So bad day at work. Oh mate, I'm too stressed to go to the gym. I'm going home to have fast food and a six pack. That was the weekends though. Right. And it was like a six pack of six packs. So I would just have any any reaction to a bad situation, like a confrontation at work, my boss had a go at me, or a run in with a customer. It's like, mate, there's my excuse. Or I'm tired. Or the other way around, you can also eat your emotions in celebration. Yes. Celebration eater, which I think I've commented on myself in the past. You are a celebration eater. I have been. I've less of it now. Less of it now, but yes. Um, but celebration eating as well. You, you can you can eat your emotions in a positive, like it's a positive emotion that causes you to have these self-destructive patterns. Now, it's like I spoke about with the first question at the top of the show about binge eating in terms of, you know, eating and drinking your stress and emotions. I've What's helped me a lot over the years is finding a replacement mm. for that. So we know as human beings, we kind of have to eat and drink. Otherwise, there's this thing called dying that will happen if you don't eat or drink. So you can't just go, well, I'm not going to eat and drink. What can we do to replace? Now, this is where I go a bit left to center. Anyone that works with me will know that sooner or later, I'm going to hit them with questions about what do you do in your spare time? Hobbies. What hobbies do you have? Yes. That recharge you mentally, spiritually, and emotionally and provide a nice um, disconnect yeah. from the responsibilities and stresses that come with being an adult. And it's what you often say with a lot of things to do with transformation, which is don't take away, replace. Bingo. Courtney and I are proponents of what we call the replacement culture. Yes. We like to replace things, don't remove things. Don't deprive yourself. That's, yeah. So I would say to someone like Ashley, one, I've tried answering it myself. Mate, that's not going to, that's not how it works. <laughs> not how it works. So you can never, you can never do this by yourself and you shouldn't be expected to. No, you need support. It's, it's just making a tough job basically impossible. So I'll start with that. Now, I would say to someone like Ashley, well, what can we do to replace when these times happen? See, you can't avoid stressful and emotional situations unless you plan on locking yourself in a room for the next 60 years, yeah. which you might say the answer is probably going to be no. Yeah. So we know that since that's not going to happen, you're going to have stressful and emotional situations because uh, you work, uh, you've got kids, uh, you're in relationships, friendships, like your parents drive you crazy, love your mum. Uh, but you know what I'm saying, right? Yes. So you can't avoid that, which means we can't change that shit from happening because that's life. What we then need to work on is what's going to be your reaction to it. So rather than going, well, I've had a bad day at work, I'm now going to go home and smash a casket of wine and have five packs of Krispy Kremes mm. because that's self-destructive and negative towards what your transformation goals are. What if we replace that with something a bit more satisfying? So for someone like me, well, I'm going to go play some video games, mate, mm. because I fucking love video games. Mm. I might go watch some TV. I might watch something on Netflix. Go binge watch something on Netflix. 
or as well for Courtney and I, Courtney and I love watching sport because we are sports fanatics. Yes. But it could be there's, there's some people I work with where their hobbies are, they, they get satisfaction from riding horses. Yeah. Or playing golf or going to the beach if you, if you live near the coast. I don't care what it is. I might want to play a piano, go play a musical instrument. Me personally, I don't subscribe to the idea of your hobbies should be exercise because that can lead to an overtraining mentality. So I'm not a fan of that. But I do think here, I'll be looking to replace the food and the alcohol choices that are being made in stressful situations with activities that revitalize. Could be as simple as go for a walk, listen to a podcast. Maybe the weight loss podcast. Could be reading a book. Could be listening to a book. Yep. Could be knitting. So if, <laughs> if, if Ashley was a client of ours... I'd respond to this question by asking her, what are your hobbies, love? Yeah. Because you've got to go do more of that. Yeah. I don't care what it is. If it's, if it's beneficial to you and doesn't hurt anyone else, like how about do more of that instead? Go out with friends, go see family. Oh, doesn't matter what anything. it is. Crochet, mate, knitting, yeah. playing chess, like whatever it is. So I would, I would personally would be looking like, what hobbies do you have and what can you do to replace here? Yeah. I, would, I personally would start there. Um, and then you also potentially look here, the second um, part answer to this question is the rule of proximity. So that you're using food and alcohol as a way to medicate after stressful situations. Is this stuff in your house? Yeah. If it's in your house, guaranteed Why? 100% it's going to disappear. Yeah. And we know where it's going to disappear, down yeah. the hatch. So I would be looking at the hobbies, and then turning the rule of proximity in one's favour. So, well, if you're going to go and have um, food and eat your meals in, as a, you know, after a bad day, for example, let's see what's, it, what's within reach. Yeah. Is it a pack of biscuits or is it like a, uh, a chili con carne with an assortment of vegetables, whatever it is? Yeah. Or some, so we've had clients that have said to us, what do I do when I'm craving sugar all the time? Well, you said, put some fruit in your salad. Yeah, so to so, me, to me, um, just in summarising, and we'll go to the last question, what are you doing for your hobbies? And uh, are you a victim here of the rule of proximity? Yeah. Yeah? Last one. Yep. There's a good one here. This comes from Tanya. Can you guys please talk about recovery? How often should you train for different goals, i.e. fat loss, strength building? They're the same. How, to be, how best to structure or use recovery days? Oh, my God, West. I see people at the gym going twice a day, every day, every second day, etc. What's an optimum schedule? May I please start with this? Yes, you're welcome to. Tanya, I have a simple rule when it comes to people training for a result. It is this. What is the least amount I have to do to get the result I want? Understand this. I guarantee you, 99.999% of people you see training in the gym twice a day are overtraining and are using that to try and compensate for shit nutritional choices. Yeah, I think I think twice a day, every day. I don't even think elite athletes, a lot of them do, do that much. Some so, do. Well, actually, you'd be surprised sports specific. there. Uh, however, in this case... 
let's just assume that this discussion is about people like Matt and Courtney. Well, I was just about to say that that would literally be the only reason for that um, if they were doing sports specific training top, for certain top sporting level, levels. Top level elite athletes are not listening to the so, weight loss podcast. Yes. So that was in finishing my train of thought. That was literally the only exception to that. But when you're talking about fat loss, strength building, as Matt alluded to they are the same thing um you don't need to be training twice a day every day and i think that comes back down to that old mentality of more is better and that old mentality of if i exercise more and i eat less i'm going to get the result that i want um we've both been guilty of this we have both been guilty of this and it was it was very used to be all anyone ever spoke about i think now with a lot of more information out there everyone's attitude towards that is is slowly changing but it doesn't mean that there's people in the gym that don't still subscribe to that method and that that is what they're doing so that's why it can be very dangerous to look around the gym and say oh i'm just going to copy what that person does so a you don't know why they're doing it and and quite frankly they probably don't know either well that's correct (laughs) so so i would not be watching what a what a lot of other people in the gym are doing. Oh, no, that, how easy is it for the blind to lead the blind? I get to, it, and, it, and it can get very confronting. You go into a gym and you see people in great shape and you think, oh, I just should be doing what that person's doing. Mm. But there's no history there. You, there's no nothing to tell you why they're doing it, what they're doing. You haven't got the context, have you? No. So so that can be very dangerous. So in terms of that, that's all I would say on, on that part of thing. In terms of what is an optimal schedule... Well, okay, Courtney's just motioned towards Well, me. we have spoken about this, by the way, as well. We did do a podcast on um, how much cardio exercise should, how much training. Ex- yes. we, we've, done a, we've done one, two, three exercise-related podcasts, one about weights, one about cardio, and just one about how much exercise should yes. I do. So, Tanya, one, I would refer you uh, back to those podcasts, but I will say here, you actually can't give a quality generalized answer here because this is like asking hey matt and courtney how long's a piece of string yeah now here's why here here comes a bit of bit of coaching talk here this honestly in terms of recovery um structuring and using you know rest days training frequency this is dependent on one the goal of the individual but also other factors such as training age how conditioned is someone so if you've got someone who's just got off the couch for the first time in 20 years, they aren't going to be able to train with the intensity of someone like myself and Courtney who has many years worth of a head start. However, as your training age improves and you can train with more intensity and you can push yourself harder, you actually need a bit more rest Yes. because you're damaging your body more. So you'll actually find a heavily overweight person who hasn't got the conditioning of someone who's fairly lean, strong and athletic can actually do more exercise sessions than the lean and athletic person because they won't be as intense and they couldn't last as long. But as their training age goes up and their strength goes up and their body fat goes down, ideally, and their conditioning improves, the actual training structure has to change where it, it, it becomes less about quantity and more about quality. Mm. 
So basically what I'm saying here is I can't answer this question. No, because it's, very, it's very hard. Well, it's hard because you need to look... Context. You need the context of looking at the individual. So in the case of someone like Tanya, I would have to know, well, okay, love, what's your goal? What have you been doing for the last 6, 12, 18, 24 months? Yeah. How has it worked for you? As in, show me the photos, please. Uh, and what has your structure been? Yeah. Because then, and then, but then, that's just the beginning. Because then you look at, well, how often does this person eat? Yes. Are they under? Are they under eating in terms of uh, in terms of food that is uh, conducive to getting in good shape? Probably they are. Let's be honest. Are they overeating on foods that aren't conducive for improving your shape? What's their hydration like? What supplements do they take? What's their sleeping patterns like? What's their work like? Because their work, they could, are they a shift worker? Or are, are they a shift worker who's also heavily stressed, like say a paramedic? Sleep or is a compromised. Fiery? Sleep is compromised and stress levels are through the roof. Which then affects performance. Which and then affects will performance then and also recovery. Well, these are things that we call metabolic blockers. Yeah. Do they smoke? What medications are they on? How much alcohol do you drink? Thank you very much. How much alcohol do you drink? Is there's a lot of there are a lot of factors to consider. That's why Tanya, yes, it isn't an easy answer to give. I know, I know. Courtney and I can, we can. I know. Well, me for example, because I, I work from home now, I can get away with with more exercise than I used to because I sit on my ass a lot of the days. So I have to get up and get out. Yeah. You know. Otherwise, yeah, and and at the same time, then you factor in. As Matt said, what job you do? You might have a job where you're on your feet all shift. Well, what if what if what if what if we're talking about a male who works on a building site five days a week? You're not going to smash that and person with an exercise session in the gym every day. Are they even going to need to do cardio? Yeah, because their job is cardio. cardio. Actually, I've got a client like this right now where he works on the tools. It's like good news for you, mate. You don't need much cardio because you're carrying shit around a job site all day. Just get the gym two, three, you know, three, four times a week and pump the iron. Well, that was like our podcast that we did with Ellie. Oh, on the horses. Who works with horses? She's a strapper and she's and, and a she's horse walking trainer. between twenty five and thirty thousand steps a day. Like what the fuck? So That's obviously awesome. her cardio requirements. Well, that's a job, bro. Aren't going to be the same <laughs> as what, say, mine are when I'm sitting and for mine. five out of the seven days of the week Very at well work. Yeah. So, so these factors all do come into consideration. I think very often, at least to give you some idea, Tanya, very often when we talk about recovery, there's at least a recovery day in pretty much everyone's workout schedule that we work with. Well, there, well, there has to be because the body is organic and as good as training is... Uh, intense training breaks your body down. That's how it works because the body then is damaged by the training you're doing and it has to then rest yeah. and repair and recover to get the adaptations you want. And that's really where all the good stuff happens. The training is the stimulus. Yes. The change happens between your training sessions in terms of when you're sleeping and what goes into your body. But once again, before we wrap this up, these people you see at the gym going twice a day, I bet my fucking Super Nintendo... These people aren't anywhere near where they need to be nutritionally and with their sleep patterns to actually get something out of that. They're doing that to cover up shit. Yeah, and even even people that I've seen, we, we go to a gym mat where there's a lot of people that are training for body 
composition uh, competitions. They're called bodybuilding comps, and, Courtney. Well, whatever. Um, I don't know what the political term is these days. So even they, getting close to, to showtime, would be training more often, but you'll even see them after they've – performance has happened or after they've been on stage that dies off again so even even those people who are training for specific reasons they're tailoring their training program to ramp up and then ramp back down so not even they are sustaining that high level it's also the same thing with the athletes in terms of um in season versus off season and their their workloads have to change yeah well my brother was a good example he was a baseballer Played in college. Played in college in America. And they, they, you know, I would speak to him about what was he doing with his training over there just to get an idea. And, and they were very, very careful with the weights that they did in season versus out of season. Have to. You know, that sort of stuff. They focused only on specific movements, you know, squats, deadlifts, things like that. Not as much on your, on your smaller movements. So it was... It's really sport specific. It's really tailored to, as Matt said, your goals. It, it, it's, it is sport specific. And in the case of most people that we deal with, it's goal specific. So the question of what's an optimal schedule, we can't really answer that. You, no. have, to, you have to look at the whole picture. No. So in other words, Tanya, we're fucking useless. But listen to those other three podcasts. And I would very much take on board what Matt said, which is... We're useless? No. <laughs> which, which is the gold often, like, well, not often, the gold stuff or the, the, the gold standard stuff happens between training sessions. So don't focus as much on the fundamentals of, oh, am I supposed to do two a day or am I supposed to do this or am I supposed to do that? Just tr- pick a routine, see how it goes with you, but really make that focus on what are you eating between those training yeah, sessions. And le- less is always more. Like I said at the start of the question, the whole idea here isn't to see how much you have to exercise, it's how much can you get away with and still get a result. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. Oh, 100%. That's well, I'm right. Glad, I'm glad Courtney agrees. And that so is our last that, question. That's a wrap. So we've uh, thanks for hanging with us. Now, as we said at the start, these questions have come from our kick-ass awesome Facebook group. Can we just give a big shout-out to everyone who asked a question? Well so. done, boys and girls. Thank you very much for submitting your questions to us. Basically, thank you for writing our podcast for us because we're lazy and we couldn't be stuffed planning this one out, so you planned it out for us. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> anyway, as you were saying, Matt, you can find a link to our Facebook group. Yes, you can. There will be uh, over at theweightlosspodcast.com, which is our super awesome website. Uh, you'll find a link to our Facebook group. Come and join us. You can hang out with Courtney and I, as well as uh, all the peeps that we hang out with, our cool gang. You are more than welcome to join. And put it this way, given the quality of questions that we got, this is not the last time we're going to do this. No. At all. Uh, if you want to email us, you can email us at podcast at theweightlosspodcast.com. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, look forward to us coming back in the extremely near future. We've got a lot of cool things uh, we're currently planning out. So we're ramping this stuff back up, aren't we? Let's do it. Speak to you soon and take care. Bye. Are you ready to share your success? Head over to our website for full access to our show notes, resources based on today's topic, and links to our Facebook group so you can share your story with our hosts and many others out there who are looking to achieve and maintain their health and fitness goals. You can find all that and more exclusively at theweightlosspodcast.com. 